Hi, this is Brittany Gilman, president of BG Sports Enterprises, and this is One on One with ADC Partners. Hi, this is Dave Almy of ADC Partners, and thanks for dropping in to listen to this latest episode of one-on-one sports business conversations. It's a good one, so you'll be glad you did. Now, I've had a lot of discussions lately about the meaning of the term grit, like what it means, what its qualities are, and its relative level of importance. You know, things like that. And generally, most people seem to agree that grit is the thing that gives you the ability to respond when life throws your curveball. The grittier you are, the quicker you bounce back. And let me tell you, this episode's guest, Brittany Gilman of BG Sports Enterprises and B-Pop List, has grit to spare. When her pro snowboarding career was derailed due to injury, she quickly pivoted to become a strength and conditioning coach for major college athletics programs. And when she found that work unfulfilling after a couple of years, she joined a sports marketing agency as an intern. And after three underwhelming months of that, she decided to open up her own agency. Like I said, gritty. In our discussion, we talk about how her competitive background prepared her for those numerous career pivots. We also go into how she continues to grow her business, the advice she has for athletes seeking to build their brands, recommendations for other would-be entrepreneurs, and much more. And because this was recorded right before New Year's Eve, she even provides a New Year's resolution that everyone should consider. But before we jump into my chat with Brittany, I got some pretty big news on this end. It turns out this podcast was named a finalist for the Sports Business Podcast of the Year by the Sports Podcast Awards. I know, kind of crazy, right? It's super exciting for sure. And it turns out that you, dear listener, can vote for the winner. So, if you'd like to vote, head over to adcpartners.com. And a pop-up window will provide a link that you can use to do so. So thanks for that. All right, so with that little bit of campaigning out of the way, let's head to my conversation with Brittany Gilman. Enjoy. You were a competitive skier and snowboarder when you were when you were little, like a little kid. You started at like seven years old, right? Yeah, yeah. I started really, really young. Really young. Got right out on the skis. And you spent time as a junior Olympian. So you were not only started young, you were really successful young. Yeah. So watching your career and where you are now, I'm wondering if you can look back on that time and what you loved about competing as a young person and how you think that might inform your experience today. Where did that love of competition come from and, and how does it how does it affect you today? How is it still with you? Well, I would say that I was born, um, I was the youngest of three. Oh boy. And my brother and sister, um, they really set the precedent. And it, it wasn't that I was ever pressured or pushed to do anything, but it was just like, this is what my brother does. This is what my sister does. This is how you live life. Yeah, we're going to the mountain today and you're coming. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah. all right, six, we're going to go skiing. And then it was also in the summers, uh, my grandparents, they built a cabin up on a lake. And I have lots of cousins, like oh. 
17, 18 cousins. Holy smokes. Oh yeah. You guys took over the mountain. Oh yeah. Well, this is, uh, this is actually in the summertime. Oh, summertime, right. Um, yeah. When we go to the, our cabin. And so growing up, it was always a competition amongst all of us. Who's going to oh be God. the first person to get up on two skis talking about water skiing. Oh, yeah. First person that gets up on one ski. And then when you got up, we would write your name on the wall of the cabin. So it was a big competition. <laughs> wow. So it was advertised right on the side of the cabin. Cousin Johnny oh, yeah. always up on the first ski first. Yeah. It was, it was always, always competition. So I think growing up, everything that I did was in a competitive environment, which yeah. really kind of instilled that into me. And yeah. looking back, I, I think I'm so grateful for that because the business of sports is extremely competitive. Amen. And it's only getting more competitive. Amen. So I think that it really helps me because first and foremost, I'm an athlete and I understand the comp I understand competition. And secondly, being able to compete professionally is very valuable and it's a necessity if you're going to be successful in the business of sports. Yeah, I suppose it's like if you if you're accustomed to it. I mean, you literally were birthed into a family that was writing names on walls and making sure that everybody was aware yeah. that competition was part of the day-to-day -day experience. I mean, this is not so so shying away from competition, which I think can make some people nervous. Maybe if they don't have that background, it's oh, yeah. clearly something that energizes you. I, I mean, this is an audio environment podcast, right? So if people can't see the big smile you have on your face right now, but I can <laughs> almost be like, see so you're like going, oh, cousin Johnny, I can't believe you got up on the one ski. <laughs> <laughs> but so that's really instilled you and you feel that even today, huh? Oh yeah. And yeah. it's, it's necessary because it's this industry, it's getting more and more competitive. Everybody, not everyone, but a lot of people want to work in sports. And the barrier for entry is so low too, right? I mean, people can literally get started. Like I just snapped again, you know, audio environment. Hopefully that picked up. But people <laughs> can get started very easily. And I think that's, you know, it's interesting, right? Because it does create a challenge sometimes if you are an experienced professional, you are used to being competitive. You know, you are dealing with a lot of people who are new entries into the market Yeah. that you have to battle against the noise. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. We're going to talk about your entrepreneurial streak and how you got started and how you chased down some of these things. But a lot of that began when you were junior Olympian, you're competing, you're on the pro half pipe tour mm -hmm. um, and an injury sidelined you for a bit. So it wasn't, I wouldn't necessarily say it was an injury. I have been very blessed throughout my snowboard career and mm. I mostly to the fact that my education and what I was doing for so many years in terms of strength and conditioning, because I applied principles to myself and I focused a lot on injury prevention and yeah. I've been training insanely training since I was I mean I've been lifting weights since I was 12 so yeah. <laughs> huh. yeah. I have not well. <laughs> <laughs> so you have this experience where you're used to tuning your own body for competition yeah right and you started to take a lens it looks like I mean you went and you did the kinesiology degree mm -hmm. um and you, I think you set this goal for yourself where you want to be the first female sports and condition fitness coach for an NFL team. Yeah. First female strength conditioning coach for an NFL team was my career goal when I was doing my undergrad. Yeah. And you started down that trajectory. Yeah. Cause you were working for some pretty big time programs. Yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy thinking back of, to what I was doing. Um, Can you talk a little I, bit about that? Yeah, of course. So. I was competing on the professional half pipe circuit when I was in college studying kinesiology. Yeah. Then once I graduated, I was so excited to just snowboard full time. <laughs> you know, basically the kinesiology degree was the almost 
pre-med. It was just one or two yeah. classes that made a difference between official pre-med and kinesiology. And so it was always really hard for me during that time because I felt like I was living two separate lives, one being a pro athlete, one being a college student. Mm -hmm. And each one required so much attention and focus. And so I graduated. I was so excited to snowboard full time. And this going back to the whole injury thing, I changed boot sponsors and I developed these things called pump bumps, which are just these weird little painful growths on the outside of my heels. It's too bad that something so painful has to have such a cute name. Oh, I know. Right. Oh, God, yes. it was terrible. Yeah. And it really um, affected my snowboard career because I was finally done with school, my undergrad. And I was like, OK, I'm going to snowboard full time. I'm going to move to Mammoth Lakes, California. And I'm just going to do this thing. And you're ready and to I go. Graduated, yeah, in December, moved to Mammoth. And it was miserable because I couldn't train. I was depressed. I had no money. And at that point, I was like, OK, well, what can I do to maybe take a break? And I can always come back. Is that the only way to be able to address the pump bump is just give it rest? Yeah. I have to just get away from the sport just, for a little while. Yeah. And, and you have to let him heal naturally or, or <laughs> you know, cortisone shots, which are horrible. Nope. So, you know, it was a rough time. And then that's when I was like, okay, well, maybe I can make progress towards my post snowboarding career goal, which was first female strength coach mm -hmm. in the NFL. Because during that time, there were no, there are very few women in sports, business of sports, and mm -hmm. even more so in the strength and conditioning industry. I imagine far fewer. Yeah, it was it was pretty just male dominated. And so I had one of my best friends lived in LA at the time and I mm -hmm. went to LA, loved LA. I was like, oh, this is the best city ever. And <laughs> USC football was yeah. the first number one football team in the country. And at that time, they were basically a pro team because there were mm -hmm. no pro football teams in LA. So I was like, all right, well, this is the number one team. Let me just go for it. Yep. So I um, just knocked on Pete Carroll's door and said, here I am. Yeah. Hey, coach. <laughs> basically, <laughs> basically, it was Coach Carlisle, though, who's the head strength conditioning coach. Okay. So I looked up, found his contact information, reached out. You know, originally I wanted a graduate assistantship. Um, and so I reached out about that. And he's like, well, we don't have any paid opportunities, but we do have unpaid internships where we work you to the bone. And I wrote back, that sounds great. Perfect. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of work and no money. Perfect. Yeah. But, oh, I, I mean, can't wait. But I mean, isn't that the sports business experience? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's for people who are people who are listening to this, who are interested in working for in sports. I think Brittany just described the quintessential how you get started in this business. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just you, sh you show up and you work to the bone and you what is it? You must show up early, stay late and ask for more work. Yeah. And I'm assuming that's what it was when you were working at USC. Oh, it was crazy. It was, you know, be, be at the weight room at 530 in the morning. What, what's really interesting, let me back up a bit. This is really interesting, um, what happened when I went in for my first interview. And this kind of shaped the, I would say, the theme and the tra trajectory of my career and kind of set me up to give me the reality of sports. Because I, yeah. I came from Colorado. I'm like, okay, I'm a sweet girl. Everyone's nice. Everyone's loving. That's not the case in life. We all know this, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, the country girl comes to the big city. Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> and I got eaten alive. Yeah, okay. And, you know, I walked in. I remember back then, USC football and most of the teams trained in Heritage Hall. And in the basement was the weight room. And so you would walk in and you'd go down these steps. It was really confusing. But then you're walking through all these hallways and the walls are pasted with USC legends. And it was very intimidating and I walked in during a football workout. And to get to Coach Carlisle's office, I had to walk through two separate rooms. 
So here's little old me who's 5'3", walking in the middle of a football workout. There's music blaring, guys screaming, yelling, grunting, all this stuff. And I was oh, like, oh my, oh my gosh. Whoa. I'm like breaking out of a sweat listening to this story. <laughs> yeah. And we're talking college football players. Yeah. Most of them are very large. Yeah, yeah. Those are so, big fellas. Yeah, big fellas. So I, you know, I had to walk through and I'm just like, everyone's staring at me. Who's this girl? Why is she? You know, it was crazy. And I walked all the way through the first room, the second room into this tiny little office against the wall. And, you know, I knock on the door. It was like a closet, basically, at that time. And I'm like, hi, I'm Brittany Gilman for the interview. And he's like, here, have a seat. The first words out of Coach Carlisle's mouth were, I hope you're not here to get wifeyed up. Oh, my God. Yeah. And yeah. And that, things have changed just a little bit. Well, hopefully they have. They have. It's a little They've bit better. Changed. Yeah. They've changed. Yeah. But that really set the tone for my entire time at USC and as well, you know, moving away from SC and all the other stuff that I did. And it, right. it was really harsh and it was hard to, to hear that because I was like, no, I'm here to become the best strength conditioning coach I can be. But that was a stigma. Yeah, that that from previous women in the industry that I now had to face and had to convince them otherwise. So I guess there's two things that that can do for you in that moment, as hard as it probably was. I mean, one thing, it can redouble your intent, right? This is going to be harder yep. than I thought, but so there's a the first filter, um, and the other one is it really can give you some armor. Yeah, to working in this industry and because it can be difficult, uh, particularly for women getting started in this business. I think, like we said, it's changed a lot, but yeah. that armor can really come in handy as you progress and as you're working, particularly in that area, strength and conditioning. Right. You said yeah. it earlier, male dominated expectations are <laughs> I didn't realize wife could be a verb, but OK, now we know. Uh, yep. getting wifeyed up. So that really does force you to do an assessment. Is this something I really want? And if I do, this is what it's going to take. And mm -hmm. and you found a lot of success. You ended up going, you were at USC. Um, you went to Auburn. Yep. So obviously had, I mean, those are, these are big time programs. They are, they're yes. professional in every mean, in every expression, but name only. But it wasn't necessarily, I guess, ended up being the thing for you. At what yeah. point did you decide, you know, maybe this isn't it? Well, I think that phrase that he said kind of set mm. this precedent for me. And, and it, it gave me, as you said, armor. And it also gave me this goal mm -hmm. of, okay, I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not here for this. And then that really... For my entire career like it, it kind of was the the framework for everything i would do so i was at usc for a year mm -hmm. probably one of the hardest years of my life i wouldn't trade it for anything but mm -hmm. incredibly challenging on so many different levels but it it did begin to frame and mold me into this person you know in retrospect when i look back that would enable me to be successful in this business of sports because it's very very difficult mm -hmm. and you know, I was at USC for a year and then I went to Auburn because I was like, I need to get my master's. I can't wait too long. SC wasn't offering me a job. So I caught a position at Auburn, which was crazy because saw the position listed online for a strength conditioning coach, graduate assistant. And I applied and I kid you not, I got a, was it a, a phone call 
from the head strength conditioning coach at Auburn. He's like, if you want the job, it's yours. He didn't even interview me. It was insane. I'm assuming at that point too, just the name USC on your resume probably was a catalyst for a lot of opportunities. And I was a woman. So we needed to find a woman. I had the qualifications. I had the certifications. I was an athlete. I was really a good fit. You had a good story to tell. Yeah. And how long at Auburn? I was only at Auburn a year. Mm -hmm. It was a two-year position. And the head strength coach got really mad at me because I told him I was going to leave after a year and a summer because I was like, oh, I can finish my master's in a year and a summer. Oh, my God, I'm going to do that. Because Auburn was amazing. But going from L.A. to Auburn, Alabama. Can't even imagine. It was like. I felt like I was running 60 miles an hour and I hit a brick wall. Yeah. Everything slows oh, down slow. a little bit. Yeah. Big time program. And, you know, Auburn's amazing. Don't get me wrong. It's a fantastic school and, you know, competitive on a bunch of levels. But you step off the campus. I mean, you're in the middle of Alabama. I mean, that's just, just not Los Angeles. Yeah. So it was an amazing year for me. But I realized during that time, and now I didn't work with football at Auburn. Um, mm-hmm. And this was the first time I was given responsibility for my own teams, which was incredible. I worked with women, women, men and women swimming and diving, which was cool because that was really similar to snowboarding. Right. I worked with um, men and women's long distance track and cross country mm-hmm. and the women's tennis team. Those were all my teams, which was very cool because I created the programs for probably 150, 200 people. And it was amazing to be able to finally be given responsibility. And at that time, it was cool because the women's tennis team had the least amount of injuries ever when they were training under me up to the up to that point. So you really found success. Yeah. And in working there and you were able to complete your master's quickly. Yep. And there's a pivot. Yeah. You know, you finish up and then you kind of go. I think I want I think I want to be a sports agent. Like what was the catalyst for that? It was, it was more along the lines of when I was a strength conditioning coach, I was kind of like, you know what? I don't think this is really what I want to do. Cause Mm. I didn't like the, I didn't like the lifestyle. I don't Mm want to be in a room all day. You don't get a lot of credit as a strength conditioning coach. And I wanted more glitz and glam. Mm -hmm. So at that point, and I remember a conversation very vividly I had with someone who ended up, you know, bringing me on board as an intern for my next role um, that I'll get to shortly. And he, I was in my room at the time and he asked me, well, what do you want to do? Mm. You want to work in sports? What do you want to do? And I was like, I have no idea. Mm. I have no clue. And at that time, I didn't really understand other components of sports business. You were so focused on the performance side. Yeah. Like I didn't know how the business worked and it was really early on. So mm-hmm. sports marketing was an infant at that time. And so I graduated, moved back to LA, did an internship at a sports marketing agency. Now this was the biggest sports marketing agency at the time representing, you know, Reggie Bush, Matt Leiner, okay. you know, Marcus Allen, all these huge names. So back and, connected to USC. Yeah. Yeah. No. Cause it was, I, I was put in touch with this agency through one of the players I worked with at SC who had signed with this agency. Okay. Like, Oh, I can introduce you to, you know, Jamie Fritz and Mike Ornstein who, if anyone knows anything about sports marketing, Mike Ornstein was basically a godfather of sports mm. marketing. He kind of paved the way. And so was this kind of a shrug of your shoulders kind of thing? Like, nah, screw it. I'll try it out and see what happens. Yeah, it was kind of like that. I was like, okay, well, sports marketing. Yeah, that sounds good. Let me, let me see. Let me try. Let me see what I can do. Let me mm. see what this is about. And I moved back to LA, got the internship, you know, but the thing is I was only there for about three months because they really didn't need me. Mm. And they kind of said, okay, you can work in this conference room and try to sell advertising in this sports magazine. 
Okay. And no one really, they didn't teach me a lot. They didn't give me a lot of tasks, not a lot of responsibilities. Here's the telephone, go start calling people. Yeah. So at that point I was like, this isn't going to work for me. I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I think I'm going to leave. I think I'll just start my own agency. Why really? not? That's what, yeah. like, why the hell not just start my own agency? Can't be that hard. That was it. That was it. And that's, <laughs> I was like, okay. How hard can this be? Yeah, I'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> but I, was, I knew one NFL player at the time, and that was Roman Harper. And I met Roman when I was in, in Alabama. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, how do I do this? I don't know. Okay, I'll call Roman. My, the, I was so excited to know an NFL player. And I called Roman. It's like, Roman, hey. So, you know, I think that we should work together. You know, he's like, oh, what are you going to do, B? He was laughing. Okay, yeah. B, what are you going to do? I was like, well, you know, I could bring you opportunities. I could, you know, bring you deals. I could book things for you. And he was like, all right, let me think about it. And, um, you know, eventually he's like, all right, cool. He's oh, like, but I'm not going to pay you. You know, I'll give you commission on deals, but mm -hmm. I'm not going to pay you. Okay. And but you're, but you're in. You were this. Okay, we're, here we go. Here we go. So let's talk about it a little bit because I think, I think a lot of people have a very glamorized image of what a sports agent is, right? You know, we've all, everybody in this industry has probably seen the movie Jerry Maguire 432 times. You know, they think it's attending games and hanging out with players and da, 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 so forth and so on. But I'm wondering if you can, from the outset, as we start to dive into this part of your career, can you provide a more realistic view of what the job is, uh, what you love about it, where you find the biggest challenges and things like that? Give us, give us the 30,000 foot view from your perspective. I'm a soccer agent, so I'm not an NFL agent. Mm -hmm. I do branding for NFL mm -hmm. athletes, agencies. And um, I'm, a, I'm a soccer agent as well as mm -hmm. I'm a US soccer intermediary and I'm also an agent for snowboarding. Mm -hmm. So I purposely chose not to do NFL agent because I work with lots of agents and agencies and things like that. Okay. The part of being an agent and being in the sports industry is you want to portray positive things of the industry. You know, you want to attract more business. You mm -hmm. want athletes to see what you do and what value you bring to the table. So people don't really see the nitty gritty and the reality. Now, mm -hmm. an NFL agent is first and foremost, insanely competitive. Right. And it's very difficult to get clients mm -hmm. and it's very difficult to you know, you're on the ground. So if you talk about recruiting, mm -hmm. you're on the road months at a time. Yeah. And you're spending tremendous amount of money flying to different colleges, flying to different, you know, cities, towns, meeting with parents, meeting with family, doing this, doing that. You're constantly trying to prove your worth mm -hmm. to an athlete. Yeah. You should hire me because of this. Here's the reason. These are the reasons. How, do, how are you different from the next guy? Mm. What can you bring to the table that's different? And so it's incredibly competitive. And it's tons of, like I said, travel. You're on the road. Yeah, yeah. Tons of money. You're grinding. It's a lot of letdown. You could spend a ton of money to fly to Ann Arbor, Michigan and meet with a player or two. And then they don't hire you. And you're like, oh, that was great. I just spent you know $1,500 yeah. and I got nothing out of it. Exactly. So it is really glorified. And if you watch Ballers, which is, you know, a couple years old, those have a lot of truth to it, though. Yeah. So it also depends on the level of talent you work with. So if you're working with those A-list athletes, your life is going to be very different compared to working with, you know, um, a backup DB or a lineman. Right. Because the higher the Q value of the athlete, 
the more they're going to require most often, not always, but mm -hmm. general. And depending on the personality, depending on the position, are they a skill position? Are they a wide receiver? Are they a running back? Are they a quarterback? And each position you work with is going to be different. There's a calculus that goes into each one. Very much so. Yeah. And it really gives you a sense on just how much time and resource to put into recruiting yes. different players and things like that. But that's for, so that was the calculus you made in determining where to spend your energy, right? Yes. So you're helping put together deals for NFL players mm -hmm. by, by serving and working with their existing agents. Sometimes and sometimes yeah. not. Okay. Sometimes the athletes, because, and it's not just deals, it's, it's PR as mm -hmm. well. Yep. So yep. my, my, my company started as a sports marketing agency mm -hmm. and I quickly realized that I'm not going to make enough money to live off of commission only unless it's an A-list athlete, because right. it's very difficult to get paid opportunities and you have to right. put a lot of time and hours and hours and hours into getting a paid deal. Yep. So that's when it was like, okay, what else can I offer these athletes? What else do they need? Okay. What is PR? Let me learn PR. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, booking interviews. Okay. They need events. Okay. Can I put on golf tournaments, football camps? Great. And as the industry evolved, the business evolved and offered more and more values and services for these athletes. So it, it now is, you know, sometimes I would, my company and I would be hired by an individual athlete and I would never speak to the agent. Mm -hmm. Other times we'd be hired by the agent. Mm -hmm. So it just depended on the situation. So what we're going to do right now, we're going to take a quick break to hear from uh, the show sponsor, Reflux Gourmet, and we'll be right back to dive a little bit more into the business of sports agency and sports marketing uh, with Brittany Gilman. We'll be right back. If you work in sports business, then you know that we sometimes eat really badly. Stadium food isn't exactly known for its healthy properties. I mean, yeah, it's gotten better. There are more options available. But generally speaking, I'm not seeking out the vegetable plate on the concourse. It's kind of ironic, right? I mean, you're watching these world-class athletes push themselves to the very limits of human performance while shoving a plate of nachos loaded with shaved meat and a hot, liquefied cheese that's a color that doesn't even appear in nature. And while that food can taste so good going down, I almost always pay for it later on with heartburn and acid reflux. And that's when I turned to Reflux Gourmet. It's great tasting, all natural way to treat acid reflux. And you can't even believe how good this stuff tastes, right? A chef in Napa Valley actually curated flavors like vanilla caramel and mint chip. And it's all natural. I mean, I actually recognize all the ingredients on the label. But most importantly, though, it, it just works. Just one tablespoon of Reflux Gourmet and I'm ready to go. Reflux Gourmet is available on Amazon, and if you use the promo code SPORTSBIZ, you'll get a 10% discount on your order. All right, we're back with Brittany Gilman from uh, BP Sports Enterprises, and we're talking about entrepreneurialism, easy for me to say. We're talking about sports marketing and agency and working with athletes and skill sets and things like that. And Brittany, you come at this from a kind of a unique position, right? Because you are right now a, still a competitive snowboarder and sponsored by Dry World and Body Green, two of your current partners. So you see how this works from the athlete side. 
Yes. And I'm wondering how does that experience inform your approach into working on behalf of athletes? Like, how do you counsel them based on your own experience? Like, Hey, you have to be prepared for this, or they're going to want to see this. Like what, how do you apply what you know and have experienced to that work? It enables me to first and foremost, create relationships with these brands because I understand it's not just about let's hire an athlete to represent our company. It's about how can we help you? Mm-hmm. What do you want to get out of it? What, it, what, what is the why? Yeah. Why do you want to work with an athlete? Yeah. And it, it's really cool because I can really understand both perspectives and both sides. And I think mm-hmm. that is me to help to create very valuable and long lasting partnerships between both parties, because it's not one sided. Mm-hmm. Because I understand from the athlete perspective, what it's like to be an athlete and the amount of time, the requirements, the focus, the exhaustion, all of that. And now you have a partnership with a brand where you now have more deliverables that you have to provide. And so, you know, we're not going to have the athlete do too much, but it's got to be enough to provide value back to the brand. And from the brand perspective, it's like, okay, look, we want to give you the best ROI feasible. So let's create a campaign that is not asking too much of the athlete. And that's realistic. But at the same time, you're going to now feel as though you're getting your money's worth and more. Do you feel like brands are more experienced now and understand how to help with that balance? Or are they still coming at this from eyes wide open? We have no idea what we're doing here. We need some counsel because you're you're right there in the middle. You're educating both sides of that relationship. Is it is it better now than it had been in the past, or is this still sort of an uphill climb for a lot of people? It just depends on the brand, yeah, and the people who are working within the brands. Because yeah. sometimes you get opportunities, and they're like, "Oh, we're going to pay this athlete X, and we want him to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, D, D, and you're like, "Dude, you're coming." <laughs> my dude yeah <laughs> but you have to do that with the athletes too right i mean this is oh. they're investing in you so this is the kind of things you need to see i mean is is that i feel like more athletes now because they are so experienced with social media now and so experienced with themselves as the ability to be a brand they do a better job of understanding that or am i am i making that up it, it the exact same thing I said exactly. about the brand depends on the individual athlete. Yeah. yeah. Some guys are phenomenal and they'll do all the deliverables and we don't have to do anything. And other guys, we have to chase down. We say, okay, hey, you need to post, you need to post, you need to post. Oh yeah. It's just, it all depends on the personality of the individual. What kind of counsel do you give to athletes about establishing their brands? This is a two-parter here. Right? Yeah. So I'm wondering what kind of counsel you give to athletes to create their own brands. And then how do you yourself use that same advice? Because you're your own brand, right? You have to, in your position to, if you're in PR and you're constantly telling people to post, you actually have to have your own brand to kind of showcase this. You are just kind of like the, um, you know, if this is the business you're in, you have to be in the business you're in. So how do you counsel athletes and how do you take advantage of that advice? So I think when it comes to the athletes, it's really important for them to understand how important their brand is. Mm. And that if you want to play the game, you got to play the game. Yeah. So 
obviously your brand is divided into your on the field, on the court, on the pitch play, right? Mm -hmm. That's what you focus all your energy on. But if you want to fully take advantage of this window of time in which you are a professional athlete, in order to do that, you have to now build your brand. Mm -hmm. And now that consists of social media, your digital platforms, PR, marketing events, all these different factors that, again, you got to play the off the field, off the pitch game as much as you want to play the on the field, on the pitch game. Now, the off field, off pitch game, <clears throat> that's where you hire your team. And that's where if you don't want to do it yourself and you want to focus just on the game, which is I do highly recommend you just yeah. focus on the game. You find a team of people that you trust, yeah. that are experienced, that you work well with. Yeah. Because to really capitalize on being a professional athlete in this small window of time in your life, you have to have the off the field component and you've got to take it serious. And I feel like there's so many great examples for athletes now uh, from peers who have done exactly that, right? When you look at the balance between what they made as an athlete career-wise, like the actual on the field, on the fit pitch piece, but the exponentially potential more money they've made off the field, off the pitch, mm -hmm. um, between if, like LeBron James's and the Magic Johnson's and the things like Michael Jordan's. These are guys who have not millions, but, but billions. Yeah. So it seems like there's a lot of good templates out there. Yeah, there, there's a lot of good templates, but it's important to really understand too. It depends on the level, right? Like you're talking top, top 0.001% of professional athletes, you know? Well, and it goes back to your point earlier too. Like the recommendation here is to concentrate on the field. Yes. On the pitch, because those guys don't make that money unless they're, next level oh, next well. tier athletes yeah now they combine but, that with business acumen yes and you can if you do it right off the field you can elevate your clout and your opportunities as well so it's it's a strategy mm -hmm. right just like in nfl you know you go out and you make plays well that's the same thing you do off the field you make plays and you make sure that you everything is buttoned up and everything is, you know, whatever. But you're also planting seeds for future success as well as potential post-career success and opportunities. So how do you fully capitalize on this window of time in which you're a professional athlete and set yourself up for success post-career? Let me, <clears throat> you know, I have a great game. So now my PR team is going to get me on ESPN, NFL Networks, whatever. What does that do? That's a trickle-down effect. Now you're building your brand. Now people are going to see your face. They're going to start to recognize you. They're going to start to see your personality. Oh, wow, that guy's great. We want to work with him. You also have the social media component where you're going to repost those interview clips and you're going to, you know, post it, different engagement opportunities for your fan base. So it's, it's this overall strategy that you know what you're doing with a longer term goal that is going to enable you to get those opportunities. And this is probably the rest of the field, right? Because if you're a top, top person in your game, people are gonna be knocking at your door. But if you're not, you have to build your brand off the field so that when we go knocking on doors, people are gonna be like, oh yeah, I know who that is. Oh, I saw him do that interview one time. Oh, he's cool. Yeah, you know what? We might be interested in working with them. But if you don't do that off the field work, it makes it very, very difficult to get opportunities and if you don't have everything, your digital platforms buttoned up, everything look real nice and professional, it's very difficult to get opportunities. And you're not fully taking advantage of the potential opportunities that you can while being a professional athlete. Now, it's not for everyone, though, too. And keep that in mind. It all depends, again, on the individual. What are their goals? What's the personality? 
what are they trying to do? Because not everyone has a team. They just want to go play football. They want to go play soccer. Cool. You don't have to do all the rest. But if they want to take advantage of it, that's when you need to focus on the off the field stuff. You also sort of bring up this very fascinating point, which is the lever between what your brand is, your personality, the things you kind of bring to the inherently bring to the table, which I'll go back to like the idea of authenticity. This is who you are, but being active. And if, again, to your point, if this is something that you want to do, no one's telling you to go out and, you know, build your own brand and, you know, do all the marketing opportunities and, you know, generate all the income that you can do from that and sort of maximize this time. But if you want to, you have to find that core of your own authenticity and figure out the ways, and this is a terrible word here, but I'm going to use it, exploit that, Mm -hmm. right? To put that out there so the market understands who you are what you bring to the table and what your capabilities can be. There's a real balance there, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a balance. And I think it's, you know, social media, as much as people want to think it's real, it's not, come on. (laughs) (laughs) It's about as real as reality TV is real. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that we use is like, all right, let's, who do you want the world to think you are? Mm -hmm. And that's the content you're going to put out. Yeah. And you know, what are the things you want to reveal to the world about yourself that you're comfortable revealing? Some people are really open, other people aren't. So the people who aren't, the people that are shy, but they still want the opportunities, I tell them like, listen, what picture do you want to paint of who you are to the world? What do you want to put out there to the world? What's your legacy going to be? And then from there, we work backwards and that's how they create the content. And that's how we pick and choose the opportunities for these athletes. But, you know, it's what also we think, what would a brand want? What type of athlete do they want to work with? You know, if you talk about fashion, oh my gosh, <laughs> going to fashion weeks in Paris is not easy. That's a strategy you start. I know. I, I get invited all the time and I find it to be <laughs> just so hard. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> they, they love the way I wear a hoodie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, but that is, it is work. Yeah, it's work. And you have and to be willing to put in the cycles. Yeah, exactly right. Now, we talked a little bit about building brand. And I feel like a big part of your brand is this entrepreneurial streak that you have that is a mile wide. You talked about it, right? You know, I'm going to go knock on the door of the strength and conditioning coach at USC. I'm going to all of a sudden show up in Auburn and have a, a job there, but un, un, uh, uninterviewed for that particular job. Uh, I'm going to become a sports agent because it's something different. I'm going to, I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to call up this guy. I know is a football player and we're going to start it that way. Like this is, this is not a happenstance for you. This is again, going back to the idea of being competitive, uh, being inquisitive and being motivated to do different things. And I think in addition to, to BG sport, I mean, you've got BPOP list, which mm-hmm. is an invitation only platform that matches uh, athletes and, and marketing opportunities. Um, so with all these entrepreneurial experiences um, and background and history, I'm wondering what advice you have for other people who are sitting there listening to this, maybe with an idea in the back of their mind, kind of think, oh, geez, I'm, you know, this is maybe an idea or something. Do you have suggestions for someone who's considering a similar trajectory to yours? about where to find success, like what what mistakes to avoid? I would say first and foremost that we can all create any life we want. Mm. 
in my belief, you know, obviously circumstances do determine a lot of factors, but at the end of the day, we all have the power within us to create the life that we want and to do anything that we want. And there's no set way to do things. There's no set path. And if you can find what you're passionate about and you can identify your skill sets and then build your business around that, that's the best situation because you're never going to feel like you're working. Mm. So identifying your passion and then making a living out of your passion. I mean, who doesn't want to do that? So it's then having the courage to take the first step because it can be very, very daunting. When I thought of, when I first came up with the concept for Bpopless, this was over a decade ago and no platforms existed like it in the world. And I sat down and I thought to myself, technology is taking over the world. So if I could create a platform that would put my parent company out of business while simultaneously solving all these issues within the industry, what would that look like? And it was bizarre. And I, I, that one night, I swear the idea was suddenly channeled through me. And I, I sat on the floor of my room. It just plopped out of your brain. Oh my gosh. And I had markers and I just wrote, wrote it down, wrote it down, wrote it down, wrote it down. And by the end, I probably did that for three, four hours to where I had just a huge stack of pages that was like, whoa, what just happened? Now that concept I sat on for seven, eight years because I had no idea where to begin. Mm. But what I did do was I knew in my head, I need to do this. This is a calling for me. So I put a reminder on my phone every single day at 3.30 p.m., be published. So no matter what, even if I didn't look at it, it was constantly reminder, 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 reminder. So eventually I was then, okay, I need to do something here. I need to take the first step. What can I do? I had no idea how to begin. And I started doing a little research and I put it out there to the universe. And I was like, all right, okay, I need it. I need something, some, give me some sign. I really want to do this. And then eventually it started to, manifest and I Mm. met someone then help guide me and then that began to manifest and then it slowly started becoming reality and I put in the consistent work which is to answer your question one of the most important things and it can be sending one email a day but you have to put in the work and the time and you have to believe in yourself and just know I'm going to do this no matter what and no matter what people say oh you're crazy that's ridiculous don't listen to them you got to believe in yourself and you have to understand the power that you have within you to accomplish this. And if you're passionate about it and it's a calling, you can do it, but you got to put in the work and you have to believe in yourself. Do you feel like your athlete experience in being accustomed to training and particularly in a half pipe, trying a maneuver a hundred times before you land it right served you well in that regard? thousand percent yeah a thousand percent that was kind of a softball question i think yeah (laughs) (laughs) kind of knew the answer to that (laughs) i think i did before even you know what the heck nobody said this was going to be a hard-hitting interview a softball's (laughs) okay every once in a while yeah but i I mean it seems like it's a no-brainer in that regard now last question for you um this is being recorded right before uh new year's eve yep what does 2024 have in store well you know if we're having this interview at the start of 2025 and you're looking back, what are you gonna, what are you gonna say? I can't believe this happened in 2024. What are you looking forward to? Um, So 2024 is gonna be a lot of more international business on a larger scale, Mm. not just necessarily with individual athletes, but more with professional teams. So that's something that has kind of been in the works for a while now. And 
I'm really excited because first and foremost, it's a very exciting time in sports oh, globally. Yeah. And there's a lot going on. And, you know, this is the revolution of international sports. You know, you look at the Middle East and, and Saudi and, and how the entire industry of sports globally is changing, how the NFL is building in Europe and a lot and how all these international football clubs are now trying to build in America. So it's a very exciting time in sports. And I'm, I'm really grateful to be a part of that. And so 2024 is going to consist of a lot of that international business and um, some big projects and also um, projects in other areas, uh, working with athletes on docu-series, um, you know, movies, different, different stuff. So as the industry of sports evolve, um, I really focus on making sure that we're evolving with it. And we're also helping to pave the way and kind of identify these and create these strategies that people are going to now use moving forward. So that's really exciting. This will be my last season competing in snowboarding. So that's a big deal. Um, where can so we, where can we find you on where, where you're going to be on the half pipe tour? Yeah. So I'll be doing the rev tour, uh, which is, we have, let's see, Mammoth, Aspen, and um, Copper Mountain. So I'll be competing on those those three places. Well, actually, I think I have to skip one because it's the same week as Super Bowl. <laughs> oh, so, that's, uh, that darn work gets in the way, everyone, so of the competition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Brittany Gilman, but, president and founder of BP Sports Enterprises and B-Pop List, Thanks so much for spending the time. It's been a great conversation, great insights, and look forward to seeing you on the slopes. But before I let you go, uh, I'm going to put you in the reflux gourmet lightning round. I got it. Let's do this. As you can imagine, this can be stressful because these are questions you don't know coming. So, you know, something like a reflux gourmet can help, you know, soothe the stomach acids that can be formed in these kind of stressful moments. So I hope you're ready. You ready? Okay. All right, we'll see ready. Here we go. Uh, first one, uh, snowboarding trick that you'd still like to land. I want to do a switch backside five, which is really hard. All right, so I'm gonna have to look that one up on YouTube. That's a whole nother language. So if we are, we'll, 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 yeah. we'll put a link. We'll put a link somewhere in the in the, in the one for this. Okay, switch backside <laughs> five. All right, that's the yeah, yeah. Um, as discussed, you you you're a sports agent. Has a client ever said, "Show me the money." um not that i can think of but they probably said it in a different way <laughs> where's my damn money <laughs> yeah it's more these days it's like show me the equity <laughs> show me the equity. oh my gosh jerry Maguire, part two show yeah it's more about show me the equity <laughs> all right i'm gonna give you an analogy uh, skiers are to snowboarders as tennis players are to pickleballers please comment Oh my days! Um, Tennis it, players it, are to pickleballers. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's pretty accurate though. <laughs> <laughs> I think actually, skiers and snowboarders have achieved a level of mostly detente. Yeah. Where where tennis players and pickleballers? I mean, they're at they're at each other's throats these days. It's, it's getting ugly out there. Maybe we should, as a skier, maybe you and I should host a summit. Oh, that's a good idea. Oh, can't we? Can't we all get along? I think um, it's scares us as I think it's like the annoying younger brother. 
that's exactly that's exactly what it is or annoying younger sister in this particular yeah the, the annoying younger sibling like <laughs> okay. what All are right. you doing like so, i was here first <laughs> when when you were getting started in the post sports and fitness and conditioning sports and fitness and conditioning um you worked basically for free for three years yeah right how much ramen did you eat during that period oh my goodness um it was more about when i was at USC, I would take the food from the cafeteria home and the players would make such fun of me. And they're like, are you just broke? You know, I'd be like, yes, <laughs> yes. I'm eating your food. I'm yeah, literally I'm broke. Eating... Yeah. It was like we're taking two, three boxes of food home. You know, I can't afford food. Okay. Don't judge me. It's called a fringe benefit. Okay. Last one. Uh, this podcast is being posted right after new year's Eve. What is your biggest new year's resolution? Uh, my biggest new year's resolution is to listen. So to truly listen and not just hear, but to truly listen and apply. And that goes across personal, professional, all the different types of relationships I have is to truly listen to whoever I'm engaging with on whatever le level and to hear and apply what they're saying. That is a resolution I think everybody listening can, uh, yeah. can take home and put with. Brittany Gilman, thanks very much for the time. Lots of fun. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the one-on-one -on -one Sports Business Conversations podcast. If you enjoyed it, we always appreciate a subscribe, share, comment, or like. And don't forget, you can always find past episodes at abcpartners.com slash podcast. This podcast is written, produced, edited, and hosted by Dave Almey. And theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. <laughs>